0: Whoa! Hey, thanks. How are you guys doing tonight? I want to try something. All right, this is just a kind of a little exercise to get us started. Um, not like exercise, like you know, physical stuff because it's me, but um, kind of a mental exercise. And so it's kind of a simple follow me game, kind of like Simon says, but Simon's not here. Okay, so. What I want you to do, I want you to listen carefully, do everything I tell you to do, watch me closely, and we'll begin by asking you that are here to just stand up, all right? I know, I know, that's the exercise part. All right, right hand. Finger spread like you're doing the number five. Now I want you to take your thumb and your forefinger and put them together. this, we have to be careful here because this is not real politically correct anymore. I used to say like you're doing okay. But um, we'll just go ahead and make it a zero. So we go from five to zero. Got it? All right, everybody's doing that very well. What I want you to do is I want you to take this part right here where your thumb and forefinger come together, all right, and place that against your chin. Okay, now I want you everyone to stop. No moving and no cheating because about three-fourths of you did what I did and not what I said. Right? What I said was to place it against your chin. Okay? You guys can sit down. You guys can sit down. The lesson here is what you do, what you do speaks so loudly that what you say, I cannot hear. What you do speaks so loudly that what you say, I cannot hear. The examples that we live out in our life are a much bolder and stronger and effective message than the things that we say. The first time I came here a couple of months ago, uh, I told you a story. I told you two stories. One was a very old story from the book of Judges, and one was a more contemporary story. It was a story from my own personal experience. Tonight, we're going to do kind of the same thing. An old story, this one from 1 Kings, and then a new story. But it's not going to be my story. It's going to be your story. We're going to use the story out of 1 Kings as kind of a guideline for us. We're gonna look at the characters that are in that story. And from that, we'll write our own story. And each one of you will get to pick your character. But I want us to be very careful about doing this. I saw this just a couple of weeks ago, and it talked about this Disney princess theology. And so as we choose our characters, I want us to be careful that we do an honest assessment of who we are and what we represent. This Disney princess theology says this, white Christianity suffers from a bad case of Disney princess theology. As each individual reads the scripture, they see themselves as the princess in every story. They are Esther, never Xerxes or Haman. They are Peter never Judas. They are the woman anointing Jesus, never the Pharisee. They are the Jews escaping slavery, never Egypt. For citizens of the most powerful country in the world who enslaved both native and black people, to see itself as Israel and not Egypt when studying scripture is a perfect example of Disney's Disney's princess theology. And it means, that as people in power, they have no lens for locating themselves rightly in scripture or society. And it has made them blind and utterly ill-equipped to engage in issues of power and injustice. It is some very weak Bible work. Yeah. So when we look at who we are, In the light of our story, I want us to be careful and rightly choose that person. I use storytelling. I read this, and this has been a number of years ago. It was a study that was done, and it said this that after 24 hours, we will forget 90% of what we hear. I'm going to tell you something. As a preacher that spends hours sometimes putting a message together, to think that a day later you guys have forgotten 90% of what I said is bothersome. 24 hours. We'll remember 50%, half, of what we see that's better. What we see and hear, it goes up to about 75%. And the interesting part about that is that it doesn't matter whether you see it visually or mentally. And so Jesus told these stories like he knew something. That when we get that picture in our head, it's the same thing as seeing it with our eyes. So storytelling... Is a great way to communicate. Or magic is a good way to communicate as well, and that's one of the things that I learned in doing magic is that it's a good lesson sometimes. How do you get people to remember? You want somebody to remember at nearly 100 percent? You know what we remember 100 percent of? What we experience. We remember our experiences. And so just like that second story that I told out of my personal experience, it made an impact on me. And tonight, when we look at these stories, I want it to be something that you can experience. It'll be your story. Let's go. First Kings, all right, chapter 10 is a story of the queen of Sheba coming to visit King Solomon. Sometimes you gotta wonder, you know, who is this queen of Sheba anyway? Because there's no country named Sheba today. We're gonna look at that. Let's just begin with the story, okay? It says this, arriving at Jerusalem with this very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, the queen came to Jerusalem. She had heard about Solomon, about all his glory, about his great wealth, about his wisdom, about his kingdom. And word traveled in that day by merchant caravans, largely how it traveled. They would trade. They would talk, and there was word of this great king in the north, richer than any other king, wiser than any man alive. And the queen wants to come and test him out. She gets there. She talks to him. She asks him all of her questions. And the Bible said that nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon, the palace that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, even the servants, the cupbearers, how they were dressed, how they carried themselves, how they attended to him, the burnt offerings he made daily at the temple. All of these things, and she was overwhelmed, speechless. She said to him, the report that I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom was true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw them with my own eyes." And indeed, not even half was told to me. The experience was far greater than what she had even imagined. How happy your people must be, how happy your officials who stand before you, who benefit from your wisdom And she says, praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne to rule over his people. And then all of the stuff that she brought, the large quantities of gold, the spices, more spices than had ever been carried in a caravan anywhere, the precious stones, All of that, she gave to the king. This queen of Sheba appears in the traditions from Judaism. And of course, likewise from Christianity, but also in Islam and from the Persians. There's some argument, debate, whether she was from somewhere in the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula, or maybe Africa. I think the general consensus is near what is now Ethiopia. Which means that by caravan, it would have taken about six months to travel from her home to here to see if the wisdom and the wealth of this king was true. And you don't go that far without being prepared for it to be true. And so she brought the gold, the spices, the gifts. And that also means that she had to bring with her an army big enough to guard that on the long journey to keep it safe. (coughs) And they arrived then in Jerusalem. You ever wonder what she asked King Solomon? What was it that she came to test him on? What was it she came to find out about? I'm thinking if she is this good queen She might want to know things like, how do I go about healing people when they're sick? When my people are ravaged by disease, what plants can be used to heal them? Is there a way in my part of the country to have bumper crops every year so that we can feed the people of our kingdom? I wonder what questions she asked. If you, were going, if you were the ruler of a nation and you were going to speak to the wisest man alive, what would you ask? Some of the traditions, some of the lore that is, surrounds the Queen of Sheba and, and Solomon's interaction say that Solomon had actually sent to her to talk about his great God. And part of what she came was to find out about his God. And this, because it's a six-month journey, this wasn't a short trip, all right? I mean, she was there for a while. She spent time. She knew the seating of his officials. She knew that every single day there were burnt offerings made at the temple. She saw the people in the kingdom, how happy they were to be in the service of King Solomon. If we are honest about Jerusalem at that time, we would know that there is also a dark side to Solomon's rule. That there were some that were treated badly, that he was a harsh king, that outside of the city walls there was abject poverty, that on the fringes of the city things were not as good as they were for the people that lived in the palace. We get that princess theology sometimes in the recordings from the scribes that wrote the Bible and what we see about them as well. The Queen of Sheba honored God by honoring Solomon. It was part of what she said, right, about your God that placed you here, that you have blessed. The story says that on her way home to her homeland, she had a child that was Solomon's, that grew up in Ethiopia, that understood whose child he was. Maybe that's a part of some of that stuff in the New Testament where we see people from Ethiopia coming to worship in the Jewish festivals. That could be just a part of their scattering when they were captured and taken into captivity a number of times between this reign of Solomon and the New Testament. At the end of this story, the Bible says that Solomon gave back to her, that she went back to her homeland and that the king blessed her. When the same story is told in 2 Chronicles, it says that she went back with more than she brought. And I think of that when I th- when I when I think of that I think of the transactional theology that we talked about throughout the book of Job. Now we get this idea that we're going to gain God's favor, we're going to gain the king's favor by giving to him. And then this king he accepts the gifts, he's gracious, but what he gave back was more than what she gave to him. So now let's take a look at the second story. Our story. Where would we be? Would you be like the queen? You've heard about this God. You're here because you want to find out about this God. What do the people of the venues, what do the people at 425, how do they represent their God? Maybe you're here tonight and that's your question. That's your purpose. You're seeking. Maybe you're already a follower. Maybe you're here as a servant. And those that are seeking are watching us to see how we serve this God. Maybe you are a part of the staff. You have this upfront role where people watch you, see you. Like Pastor Ben, Cheyenne, Michelle, you're up front. Maybe you're in the background, like Spencer, back there on the sound and doing all the audio stuff and the tech stuff. Maybe you're like Barbie that sits back there in the corner, like she's invisible or something, and yet everybody knows. Everybody knows. She does it all. She keeps everything going. Or maybe you're just going to be one of the people that sticks around and puts away tables and stacks chairs. Just a volunteer that feeds people before we meet. People that are homeless. You're somebody that Brings in food or hot hands or coats. What if people judge God by how we act? In John's Gospel, it says that no one has seen God. Right? And Jesus came so that we might see God. He acted so that we might know how God would act. When everyone thought that this was a God that was judgmental, wanted to condemn everyone, Jesus said, No, that's not the God. He's a God of mercy and of love. And if you want people to know God, love like God loves. Tell me about your story. Is your story going to be what you say and people will forget? Will your story be what people see how you act, what you do, what you bring. What if your story is what they experience? You bring them into your story. That they experience the love of God. This queen brought these great gifts, thinking maybe she could buy Solomon's favor. Maybe when you've come to God in the past, that's the way you've come with the idea that you had to give, that you had to work. A little bit of money, a little bit of service, that's how you find God's favor. That's how you find favor in the church, that's how you find favor among God's people. That's how you get the pastor to like you. Maybe that's not it. Maybe there is no transaction. You don't have to do anything for God to love you. You can be without anything and just show up, and you can get fed, and you can get a coat and you can be loved. You don't have to change who you are. It's not, let's make a deal. Show up. And if you're here, love, Sometimes it's hard for me to, I don't know, express that feeling, that genuine part that says, I like being around people, okay, but not really. (laughs) This is a different place for me. I, I told a friend of mine that commented on a Facebook post today that this is my vibe here. You know, I mean, more so than Battlefield. It just seems like there's no church face on here. You can come and you can be, and I can come and I can be, and we can share some energy, if you need some, come take some. It's a gift. If you have some to give, come give some. It's a gift. Tonight, you guys are a part of my story. Thank you. Tomorrow, You have your own stories. Tell your story. Do, show your story. And if you want people to know the love of God, then bring them into your story that they might experience the love of God. That's all I got. Good night.